27. And uh, I'm in a series called The Value of One because we believe in the value of each individual person. We believe uh, in, in the potential that exists in a, in a person. And uh, this is a series on soul winning. Um, I said last week mothers are soul winners. They know how to reach people. I'm sure grateful my mom knew how to pray for me. I would not be here today if I didn't have a mom involved in my life. Speaking of soul winners, uh, my friend Alan, where's Alan at? He's back there, yeah. He wants to have a jamboree for his wife. Uh, it's coming up here on the 4th of June, and he said you're all invited. I don't know if we have a graphic for that one or not, um, but he's going to have it up his place. Now, Nan was a soul winner, man. She witnessed to people about the Lord everywhere she went, so he'd love to have you come out. Uh, that'll take place coming up here. Uh, this series is about key people who the Lord, or to this message today is about the key people that the Lord will bring into your life. I have found that God brings the right people along the way. And I want to open up with Acts chapter 27. I'm going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to pray. Here's what the scripture says. It was decided that we should sail to Italy, and they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. And so entering a ship of Adriamitum, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, and Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Let's pray. All right, Father, I just thank you this morning for the scriptures. And I pray today, Lord, for the word to get into our hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, you inspire us, put a passion on the inside of us for people. And I thank you, Father, that uh, we're a fruitful group of people growing in the Lord in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen and amen. How many of y'all grateful for the month of May? <laughs> I am grateful, man. Good weather outside. Life is good. I'm happy to be here with you today. Uh, I remember when I was living in Kansas City, Missouri, about this time of the year, and I got hired at a hotel. And um, I made a connection there with a man named Howard Cordell. He was a pastor. And he used to host meetings in there with all the uh, consortium of pastors he had. He had a, a minister fellowship, and um, he became a good friend in my life. He used to advise me, and he, he introduced me to my friend, Pastor Larry Stockstill. And Pastor Larry, you know, I've had a great relationship with him. I did Pastors University with him down in Florida, and that was tremendous. He, he's one of the preeminent spiritual fathers in America. This year, he moved uh, Pastors University to Atlanta. They had 100 pastors from the Church of God denomination uh, that are visiting down there with him. So he, he's had such tremendous fruit. And I remember when he was with me, uh, and he told me, he said, you know, you have the ability to identify leadership in people. And that never left me. And I feel like, you know, along the way in my life, I have seen how the Lord has brought key people into my life at the right time. And I see this pattern throughout the scripture, and I'm willing to bet he's doing the same thing in your life. So this series is really on the subject of soul winning. Uh, that, that's what it's going to take for you to win some souls. And we've got to be serious about evangelism. So I have been befriending some evangelist friends. You know, I went to Pakistan with my friend Chris Michelson. That dude is a straight evangelist. You know, he loves to reach people for the Lord. And it was good to hang out with him because you know, I got clues and insights about how he operates, what makes him tick. And when you're a pastor like me, you kind of live in your box of pastoring, your bubble. That's what you're used to. So it was good to get outside of that box and in a different element and, and just sit down, listen, and learn. You know, Billy Graham had an associate pastor named Robert Coleman. He wrote the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. And in that book, he said, 
that one of the key elements is discipleship. It's not just mass crusades. It's, it's not just, you know, uh, street witnessing. It's your ability to connect with people on an individual level. And that's part of the process of discipleship. And so this morning, what I wanted to do is just walk through these chapters and highlight what I call uh, some sponsors of soul winners. Because who you associate with is so vital in your life. Do you know that? The people you walk with are going to make you wiser or make you dumber. That's what the Bible says. They'll make or break you. Now, I found three individuals in these two chapters here in the book of Acts. Acts 27, Acts 28. And I'm just going to highlight who they are. Now, Acts 27... In verse 1, the first guy we got was a soldier. Acts 27, verse 1. It was decided that we should sail to Italy. You know, that does sound wonderful, doesn't it? A little Mediterranean cruise. Uh, But, of course, this was no Mediterranean cruise. Uh, This was Paul on a prison ship. Uh, It says, they delivered Paul and other prisoners to one whose name was Julius, who was a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So, this dude is a Roman soldier. Uh, The first guy I want to highlight is Julius, and what he represents to me are protective people in your life. Julius was a protective person. You know, I I am uh, very grateful for these types of people, and centurions were like uh, modern-day sergeants. Uh, They're kind of like the uh, people responsible for discipline in the military, and, you know, they're enforcing order and rules, and uh, the backbone of the legion when you're dealing with centurions, that's what you're dealing with. Now, I'm grateful for militant men. King David had his mighty men. I mean, those guys were no joke, man. They were killing people, violent men protecting David. And there's something you know, great about that. Now, my old neighbor, before he moved, he, he was a sergeant. And he's in the National Guard. They have had him overseas, I think, like three times in the last eight years since he was living there. And I'm so appreciative for that. But it was so hard on him to go do that, but I'm thankful for men like that. And that's who this man Julius was. He was a, a Roman centurion. He was assigned to Paul, who I want to remind you was an enemy of the state. Yeah, that's the way Christianity was started, with people who were prisoners. Not celebrities, but prisoners. I was uh, out walking the church property the other day. I was praying, and I perceived by the Holy Spirit the way in which the Lord had brought blessing into my life. One of the ways he brought blessing into my life was through protection and through my family. Two areas that I was thinking about how God had protected me. And it just, it just, you know, hit me so hard. When when you feel like you're safe and protected, it just puts you at ease with people. And I like what the third verse says. The next day when they landed at Sidon, And Julius treated Paul kindly. And it says he gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. God's hand of protection uh, was what put Paul at ease. And I've found this with people. When when you have got that sense of freedom, people open up. They'll start talking to you. They'll start sharing things in their heart. Children do that. When they feel safe, they'll start talking to you. And when you feel like you've got a friend, when you feel a sense of peace in your life, it's easy for you to just start sharing, opening up. Uh, So that's what's happening here with Paul. He's got this freedom. Now, probably you know the story, Acts 27. You know, they're they're leaving uh, on their way to Rome. This is Paul's fourth missionary journey, and they end up in the middle of a 
tremendous storm. And they're out there at sea being tossed to and fro. And, and two weeks, there, it's, they just don't know what's going to happen. And finally, at the end of that time, they come to like an island. And, and the ship runs aground. And, and so I, I want to just pick it up in the 42nd verse. If you jump down to the end of chapter 27 in verse 42, it says that the soldiers had a plan to kill the prisoners. Because you know, in the ancient world, if you let prisoners escape, it was a death sentence for you. So their plan was to kill everybody, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, this man named Julius, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and then go to land. And the rest, on boards and parts of the ship, it says, uh, made it and escaped to land safely. You know, I think about how the devil wanted to stop Paul. I mean, he, he... that's how Satan works. He works through storms. Sometimes he works through soldiers trying to kill you. Sometimes he works through snakes. That was what's happening in the next chapter. But God protected Paul. And I've just seen this pattern over and over again. God will bring protective people into your life to help you stay on mission. He'll bring the right people at the right time to give you help. And I think about that trip to Pakistan. And you know, I'd never been through, you know, customs like that. It smelled funny. People were dressed funny, different voices. And, you know, I was like, oh, this is cool. We're over here in a a different country. And then they got us on a van, and a dude with a big, long beard and an AK-47 came and sat right next to me. And I wasn't, like, nervous, but that did make it kind of real. I was like, here we are. You have to think, am I willing to lay my life down for this right now? And I'm sure grateful for armed security that was there. It was like uh, the bodyguards. That was a protective barrier. You know, sometimes the way that the Lord brings protection in your life is through maybe protective voices. Voices that will give you wisdom when you need it. Uh, Voices that will, you know, give you perspective. Now, I've had that. I've got overseers and elders. And man, they help me. They help me make good decisions, process life. But I've also got a great protective voice, and it's in my ears a lot, the voice of my wife, Elizabeth. And she will tell me things like, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> you, really, you really should not have said that. You're a pastor. You know, and, and the younger me is kind of like, eh, but now that I'm old and have said so many dumb things, I'm like, you know, Elizabeth, that may, that may actually, that's pretty true. <laughs> it's a protective voice. God will put people in your life to protect you. You know what else is protective is hiddenness. Think about Paul. He's lost at sea. He, and, like, and, and it seems like a totally helpless situation. He's isolated. He's hidden. He's alone. But you know what else got lost at sea? It was all the legal documentation, all the legal paperwork that had come from Jerusalem about how this man Paul was trying to stir up crowds. All that was gone. Everything got lost. And God's hand of protection was there. So when Paul got to Rome... All they had was the words of Julius, and he wasn't fully aware. I mean, he had a whole new case set before. Sometimes when you're in seasons of hiddenness, where it feels like nothing's happening and you're isolated and alone, it could very well be that God is using those moments to bring protection into your life. Man, I've seen him do it. He, he uses people, he uses places, he uses opportunities to bring protection to you. And man, it is a wonderful thing because ultimately it's setting you up for the destiny he's got for you. So who used those protective people? Now, a second man who's mentioned is back up in the uh, beginning of the chapter, Acts 27, and look at verse number 2. It tells us that, uh, here's Acts 27, 2, it was decided when they should sail to Italy. Uh, They entered the ship of Adriamitum, 
Uh, that would be you know, a large vessel that you could pay a fee to be on to travel. They put out to sea, uh, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, and Aristarchus, someone say Aristarchus. He was a Macedonian of Thessalonica. He was with us. Now, Aristarchus was one of Paul's traveling companions. Let me tell you what you need in your life. You need a supportive person. Aristarchus was a supportive individual for Paul. He was his companion. Companionship is that warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you think about your friends. It, it, it's that, that sense of, of fellowship that you get uh, when you enjoy the people that you're with. And I think that he traveled with Paul more than anybody. I mean, I was you know, studying this out and looking for people Paul traveled with. Aristarchus had been there as much as anybody. And you never hear anyone talk about Aristarchus. He's this Macedonian with Paul. In Acts chapter 19, he's also arrested in Ephesus with Paul during a riot uh, with the silversmiths. Uh, He traveled with Paul from Greece, Acts chapter 20. He's here uh, with him from Jerusalem to Rome, Acts chapter 27. I mean, he's with him. Whenever uh, Paul did get to Rome, he's also listed as a fellow prisoner in the book of Colossians and mentioned as a prisoner in flame. So everywhere Paul went, here's Aristarchus traveling with him. And you know, boy... I've just found traveling companions are some of the most helpful people. You know that Mike Ware, one of our overseeing pastors, he's best friends with Larry Stockstill, who I was talking about. Larry travels the world. And, and he does mission stuff and pastors at conferences in, in, in nations of the world. I've never met people who've traveled and been able to do things like Pastor Larry's been able to do. He, he said that you really get to know people when you travel with them because you get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, I was thinking about a good way to illustrate how... how you know, when you're traveling with someone, how helpful it is. And I remember when in 2017, I had that opportunity to go to Israel with Kufi, Christians United for Israel. And I, that trip was a blessing. They let me bring Pastor David. And so we got to go there. I was so thankful for that. And I remember, you know, we were in the city of David. We were walking around there. And they had a travel lady. And she was not working with Kufi. She was just a, a travel agent representative. And we were all going up the stairs in a group of people. I was walking behind her. And she said to me, and she just said it so no one else could hear it. She said, you, you just like walking behind me so you can look at my legs, don't you? And I was a little taken back because she was so forward. When you hear a thought like that, like, you know, a statement like that, your mind can't help to go certain places. But I couldn't imagine having Pastor David across the hall trying to explain at two in the morning why I'm sneaking out of the room. You know, and I, I couldn't help but think about, man, I'm grateful I've got David here with me. Because it didn't become a temptation. That, and you know, Pastor David is an elder here, a board member. He has established the soap and the sock policy. You've heard me talk about this? If the pastor falls into some kind of moral indiscretion, the elder members, the board members, they're going to put soap in a sock to beat me because they won't leave a mark. There'll be no trace of it. (laughs) I am grateful for supportive people, protective people when you're traveling. Uh, And If you're going to fulfill your mission, you've got to have these kind of people in your life. Think about, here's the militant-minded man, the Apostle Paul. And yet, he's got a group of people that he's in constant contact and fellowship with. Jesus himself started his ministry with 12 people. Those 12 people became the basis for him to do things. The ministry works through relationships. There's got to be support units and groups of people you need in your life to fulfill what God has for you. That's what Paul had. Sometimes these people provide emotional support in your life. This is why you need companionship, for the emotional support that people provide. 
I was talking to Pastor Daniel. You know, he's been working here at the church for us for now for several years. He said the strangest thing to him was the emotional toll of the ministry. How emotionally challenging and demanding. It sort of surprised him. And in the society we live in today, it's filled with emotionally fragile people. Like if you talk to people and their emotions get out of whack, it's like they can't handle pressure. And that's what you have people in your life for, to help steer you up, help, help solidify things, that there's an emotional support thing that comes when, when you've got to carry a physicianship in your life. Or, you know, it could do with just being able to be there to help physically help take care of you, a physical support when you need it, when you're in a moment of need. You know, that trip to Israel with Pastor David, I don't know what happened. I was in, you know, some restaurant right around the bazaar area of Jerusalem where we're shopping. And I was having lunch, and I'd do what I was doing. I was networking and talking too much. And I kind of got lost. And anyway, I'm walking around, and you know what I realized? I don't have my tablet with me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I had all my notes, my records, and I, I want to find that. So I start freaking out, looking around the bazaar. And you know that rascal, Pastor David, let me look for 20 minutes before he pulled it out of his backpack. Oh, I'm grateful he's watching for me. <laughs> that, ha- you know, that also happened in Pakistan. I was paying the bill on the way out of the hotel. And I, I paid it, I, 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 you know, and I got distracted. Someone started talking to me, and then, you know, I get to the airport in Lahore. I wanted to buy a little souvenir. I go dig out my credit card. It's gone. I called Elizabeth. I was super serious. I was like, no, Elizabeth, I need you to listen to me very carefully. I've lost my credit card. You know, I have a pastor friend here in town. He lost his credit card in France. And it said, he, I mean, it took him months to get that taken care of. State Department had to get involved. And I start thinking in my mind, how, oh my goodness, this is a serious problem. So I'm like, just stay calm. I need you to call the credit card company. And as I'm on the phone talking, my traveling companion, Joel, came over smiling with the credit card. What are you doing? He said, no. <laughs> you need people to help protect you. Now speak and, and, and provide you know, support, physical support when you need. Speaking of finances, financial support. I mean, Paul was writing in Rome, and he talked about, you know, contributing money to the poor saints in Jerusalem, and he was fundraising. What a blessing it was that we're able to reach different nations of the world, because if you're not careful, you kind of get lost here and just think this is all there is to life, and there's a big world out there. Yeah. Uh, spiritual support. That this is a great thing with companionship. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Evil company corrupts good habits. You hang out with some clowns, you will be a clown. You get the wrong people, the wrong advice in your life. You, they will actually affect you more than God does if you give them more, a bigger place, a bigger voice in your head. So you, you've got to have the right friends, the right companionship that helps build you up spiritually if you're going to fulfill the purpose of God upon your life. Now, I think evangelism really happens through relationship. Ministry happens through relationship. I was thinking about our youth group back there. And, uh, you know, this, I was laughing about the youth group because they call themselves a friend group. That's who comes. It's a group of people that are friends together. You know, and I get to talk to them. I get to hang out with them, say hello on Wednesday nights. And, you know, I found out a good number of them have never even been to church in their life. No church background. That's, what I'm, that's the ones I'm looking for. People who have no experience, no history with the... I mean, that's great, man. And it came through a relationship. It's part of a friend group. Someone knew someone, and then they came to church. That is a win. That's, that's the way ministry happens. It's the way evangelism happens. It's, it's part of relational principles. Uh, and I think one of the reasons people don't, like, you know, sometimes witness to friends 
is there, they, they, you know, they're nervous about it. They don't know what to say. Sometimes people feel a lot of pressure to win someone over right on the spot. You know, I was having lunch the other day at the Divide, and I was sitting in the patio eating, and I had a, a lady, she called my name. And I, I looked, oh, it was my friend Cassie from high school. And so she started talking to me, you know, and she told me she just turned 40, and she's kind of like depressed about that. And I was like, you know, I, I'm 40, I know how it feels, you get through it. <laughs> so we started talking, and, and uh, she was like, hey, come to the bank, you know, invited me, to, that's where she worked at, Opportunity Bank there, come, come. Get, get a loan. I said, I don't, I don't have a need for a loan right now. I said, but you know, you could come visit me at church. And she said, yeah, I should do that. <laughs> but that's all I had to do. She knows what I do. She knows what I represent. I, I didn't have to, you know, do, I didn't have to sell. I just needed to be a witness in the moment. Comfort her, share. That, like, that, that's, that's what it takes to, to be a witness to people. Uh, now, I love teaching the Bible. And I, I, I love Scripture, I love being able to teach it clearly. It, it's my passion. I dream about it at night. It's, it's just something I enjoy immensely. And so I was telling you, I kind of live in the pastor world, the teaching of the Bible world, but I really believe in all my heart God is about to use us in evangelism. I mean, it's something that stirs my heart up. And I'm telling you, everywhere you look in the world today, the fields are ripe for harvest. Did you know that? And you can look at America and you can think, oh, we're in so much trouble. Or you can see the opportunities are amazing right out there in front of you. There's always a chance, always a reason, always someone you can reach for the Lord. And all it takes is that sense of fire on the inside of you and love for people. I mean, if we just had a group of people who loved each other, you had to have friends with each other, you would win souls to the Lord. Yeah, it's, it's the way it works. So you need to have supportive people, companionship in your life. And I'm telling you, there's a day coming, man. And, and we're going to win souls, see them saved. It's an exciting thing to think about. It's already happening now. I love to see people get on fire for the Lord. Now, a, a third guy that I want to highlight here is uh, in Acts 28. Jump down to Acts 28 and verse 7. You know, we're, we're mentioned here about how uh, that ship that Paul was in, it kind of ends up running aground on this island. It says in that region, that's the island of Malta, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius. I won't say Publius. Yeah. It says that he received us and entertained us courteously for three days. You know, when I was reading this week, and, and this, this Publius guy, he just kept coming to me. I thought, who in the world is... I don't, I don't think I've ever studied Publius before. The leading citizen, the magistrate of Malta, which is a Roman province. Here is who Publius was. He represents an influential person. Publius was an influential person. Protective people, supportive people, and you really need influencers, influential people. You know, what, I've, what I enjoy about the Bible, it's not just the inspired Word of God that has the ability to change you from the inside out and renew your mind and bring healing to your body. Believe it or not, the Bible is actually a historically accurate text. It, 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 it is backed up by archaeology. And, you know, Luke, he wrote the book of Acts. He, he wrote Luke's gospel, and he was an educated man, a doctor, a historian. So he gives dates that are accurate. He mentions all the Caesars in, in Luke's gospel. He gives you historically accurate people. You know, they, they found Publius, an inscription and an engraving him just north of Rome. Uh, and what they did in the ancient world, they put it on stones. You know, when you get to uh, Israel at Caesarea, they've got the Pilate stone. It says that Pontius Pilate was a prefect. And so you can see it in history. It's documented. And the same thing with this man Publius. They found him in history. If you're going to win souls and make disciples, 
You're going to have to rub shoulders with some influential people. And that's who Paul was after. Paul wanted to influence the influencers. I mean, he was, after all, on his way to Rome to appeal before Caesar. That's like the highest level of the food chain. He's like, I'm going to tell the Caesar about the Lord. That was his thing. And he got there because he was with King Agrippa and his wife Bernice, and he appealed to them. And he was so influential to that king, even that king said, man, you could persuade me to become a Christian. That's what he said. You know, Acts 16, Paul was with a woman named Lydia. She was called a seller of purple, which means that she was a businesswoman. She sold expensive items. That's what purple was. It, it was expensive clothing. So she's the one that opened the door for them, you know, to be there uh, in Philippi. Uh, that's where Paul got the Philippian jailer saved. And that one connection with a businesswoman who he stayed in their home opened up Philippi to them. In Acts chapter 18, he, he goes to Corinth and he ends up getting a man named Crispus saved. He was the ruler of the synagogue and it created a fight with another man named Sosthenes and they started fighting about it and they had the proconsul come out, a man named Gaius, and he stopped Paul from being stoned because Paul knew how to influence influential people. Gaius was the governor and it stopped them from having a riot. You know, I was reading this book called Tortured for Christ by Richard Woomerin. I was telling you about this. this. This guy, Richard, he was a communist who'd become a Christian. And so in Romania, he was in jail for 14 years of his life. But he said he loved communists and he knew how to reach them for the Lord and witness to them. Because, you know, you end up reaching the people that, that they're, they're like you. You, you kind of connect with who you are. He said something pretty profound. He said that strategic work is required when it comes to doing missionary work. You have to be strategic about it. As far as salvation goes theologically and in the eyes of God, every person is valuable. That's the point of the series, the value of one person. And when one soul gets saved, the Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing, and, 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 and we love to see that take place. But from the point of a missionary strategy, that's not always the case. Not everyone is equal. It's more important to win a person of great influence, he said, that can open the door for thousands of people to come to the Lord than it could be to just witness to one guy in the jungle who you can only assure salvation for him. That's why Jesus, when he chose to end his life, went to Jerusalem. He went to the biggest, best place. He went to the place where everyone was in Jerusalem. That was the place he wanted to go. That's why Peter, that's why Paul chose to, end their, to take their ministries to Rome because they were going for the influential places of the world. Now, I know we live in Montana, which is like a, a smallly populated place, but Billings is an influential city in Montana, more influential than Bozeman. Isn't that right? <laughs> you leave Montana, they're like, you from Bozeman? No, I'm from Billings. Billings is bigger than Bozeman. <laughs> Don't be intimidated by influential people. How can you relate with them? How are you going to rub shoulders? I, I find a lot of people don't really know what it requires to, to go out and, and rub shoulders and relate with influential people. I'll tell you one of the ways you got to do it is by being respectful. Respect people in positions of authority who are influential. You know, I was at a, a, a banquet, and I was with my friend Randy, who, who was running Teen Challenge at the time. And Governor Gianforte was there. Now, I've met Greg Gianforte a couple times. He had just given Teen Challenge a $500,000 grant. And I said, Randy, let's go photobomb the governor and say thank you. And Randy's a little more reserved than me. He's like, I don't know, bro. But before he could say no, I was already there. He had to get up. He had to go with me. And so 
And I ran over to the governor, and the security guys were about to grab their guns, but I was, I was respectful. I said, Governor, I just want to thank you for working with Teen Challenge, being a governor. I introduced him to Randy, and, and I was very appreciative of him. I would be appreciative, though, if it was Governor Bullock or other politicians that I, maybe I don't agree with. I would be supportive. I would be respectful to them. And I find sometimes people just don't know how to do that in the hyper-polarized political world we live in. And, you know, I came to the city council some years ago. We had to address the bathroom bill, the non-discrimination ordinance. And the best way to speak to that power was to be cordial, to be polite, and say the truth. And I watched as people get in arguments and fight with them, and it goes nowhere when you do that. You've got to find a way to be respectful with people. You know how else you can speak to people who are influential? Is with compassion. Because they have difficult jobs. Being in positions of leadership, high levels of leadership, that's not an easy thing for people to go through. And I, I was just thinking about COVID. I, I mean, how many people did I talk to who had to make decisions that said COVID was the most difficult, horrible thing they'd ever went through? I mean, there are people like leaving jobs. They're frustrated. It was a total no-win situation. And, and you know, I was blessed that we kept the place open. We didn't force things. That, but that was our prerogative. Not everyone chose to do that. But it's a difficult place to be put in when you're in a leader. I, if you think that, you know, it's easy. I was looking at three women politicians. They're, they're congresswomen. In, in the last couple of years, I've noticed this. And, and they're conservative women. They claim to, you know, know the Lord and embrace scripture. And all three of them ended up getting divorced. Because it's such a challenging thing. There's so much pressure in that position. And what that does to a marriage people is so hard. So when you are with influential people or leaders, you, you want to look at it through the eyes of compassion and, and difficult situations. That's how Paul would address people with respect and with compassion. And you want to be able to do it by praying for. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, or chapter 2, I he said you should pray for people in positions of authority so that you might lead a quiet godly and peaceable life. Now, I got a phone call maybe three, four years ago in my office over here. It was the Secret Service. They said, are you interested in meeting Vice President Mike Pence? He's in a meeting down here, just down the road, about two, three miles, and your name is on our list. And if you're interested, then we need to know now because you've got 10 minutes to make that decision. We need to come down here. So I called my wife. I told her what was going on. I went down there, they took my phone, and then Elizabeth didn't hear from me for like eight hours. And I get over there, and you know, I actually got there in this divine moment. I got in a golf cart with Senator Steve Daines and his wife, and we drove through the little neighborhood with uh, Secret Service snipers everywhere. I got to tell Senator Daines, man, I'm praying for you. I appreciate you. And he and his wife both very sincerely said, thank you. We feel it. We appreciate it. And Mike Pence got up, and you know, he did the political thing, but he also talked from his heart about the state of our nation. He said, you know, that, that verse in 2 Chronicles, if my people will pray, God will hear from heaven. He said, I'm praying for this land. And when I told him, man, I'm praying for you, he said the same thing. I can feel your prayers. I appreciate it. There's something about knowing how to pray for people that are in positions of influence. That's where God moves in hearts and minds. Now, when you pray, watch what happens. Acts 27, look at verse 8. He said, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Not just fever, fever and dysentery, which, by the way, is probably sicker than you have ever been. It says, Paul went into him and prayed. I like what it says here. He laid hands on him, and he healed him. Praise God. 
Remember, there's no Billings Clinic there. No St. Vincent Hospital. All they had was the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and faith. It says that Paul laid hands on him. He healed him. And when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases came, and they also got healed. I mean, think about that. One guy, he met Publius. He prayed for the father-in-law, and now he's having a miracle crusade and brought them into great favor. They honored us in many ways, and when they departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Man, the New Testament pattern for evangelism is miracles. I'm just telling you, everywhere Paul went, and something happened. People got devils cast out of them. Somebody got healed. It was like that's where revival started moving. You couldn't stop it. That's the greatest, most effective method of evangelism. And I'll tell you something. I've seen it with my own eyes. I believe in miracles. Do you believe in miracles? You might mean a miracle this morning. I saw something so interesting happen when we were in India. I, I like studying demographics of the world. And India, historically, had been a place where the gospel has flourished and, and been open, even though it's you know, this, this incredibly spiritually dark place. The British were there, uh, and, and so they, have a, 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 they had a freedom of religion. But with the new governor there, uh, president, President Modi, he's really clamped down on that. They're trying to maintain their national Hindu identity. And so there was like, you know, you can't, they, they did things like you can't have public meetings. Uh, they, they back away from that. They put those things in laws and then they enforce them with the governors. Well, we were in a town called Shirdi outside of Mumbai, and that was a holy Hindu city. And my friend Mark, who does the meetings and the crusades, he found favor with the provincial governor. So this guy allowed us to meet. Mark actually was there last month meeting in that place. And in India, that's almost like non-heard of. And what happened was the governor saw miracles taking place in Mark's meeting. He saw people getting healed. He saw arms that were broken, you know, working out. And I was laughing because if you've ever been to India or Pakistan, people always have broken arms and legs from car wrecks and motorcycle wrecks. <laughs> Man, there's always people driving crazy you know, ways over there. So you, you always have people to pray for. And the Lord was moving in powerful ways because these people have never heard the name of Jesus. They accept that as one of their 300 million gods. But when you pray in Jesus' name and people get healed, it's a remarkable thing. And it touched the heart of this governor who was over there. And he opened up the door for them to travel. He opened up the door for them to come. Remarkable things. One influential person did that. That's all it takes. Maybe, maybe you need a miracle this morning. Maybe you need to identify the right people in your life. Who has God put in your life to help you stay on mission? Think about the voices God has brought in your life. Uh, maybe he's brought protective people. Man, where would I be without like my mom telling me, don't do that? I'm grateful for that voice. Maybe you're a protective voice. Maybe you're a parent. You might be talking to some knuckleheaded teenagers. We don't want to listen. But wise people listen. They, they understand protective voices. Wise people will listen and appreciate. And a protective voice will bring you to make good decisions and fulfill the purpose of God for your life. I want to challenge you. Find that wise voice and listen to it. Appreciate uh, a voice. Maybe it's a supportive voice. Uh, uh, someone who in your life... I'm blessed to be able to have seen what I saw in Pakistan, what I saw in India. I would never have been able to do that if I hadn't had Pastor Daniel, who can help manage the finances, 
run the ship. I, I left, I'm in good hands, man. I got people to cover things. What a blessing that is. And, and I, I, those types of people, man, it's like people overlook them. But they are so key and so crucial and so vital for you to stay on mission and to get, get the will of God, for you to reach people. You've you got to have that supportive voice in your life that helps you weather storms and situations. And How grateful am I for friends that have held me up in difficult moments, man? Because you know what that's been able to do? It's, it's allowed you know, me to minister and reach people. And I don't know if you are a supportive person or, or if you've got them in your life, but look for them, appreciate them. And I'll tell you what's great is finding influential people. I'm just kind of drawn to influential people. If I can find leaders and influence them, I try to do that. I was just across the street over here with uh, Mr. Lip, who's the superintendent over here at Canyon Creek School. And, you know, we got to talking, and I said, hey, I'm doing, you know, vacation Bible school. Uh, you know, do you mind if I have flyers passed out? And, you know, he said, yeah, that's fine, man. So they put them in backpacks and send them out. And, and that's what I'm after. Because you never know that one person that you're trying to reach. We got VBS coming up. And then the lady who's putting on Linda, she said that that was the thing that got her say, like introduced to the Lord as a young kid. She can trace it all the way back to VBS. You never know what one life you are touching. That one person is so valuable. You could have the next Billy Graham in a vacation Bible school and never know it. So you want to find someone who's influential and you want to try to influence, you want to pray for him. Yeah. Maybe you want to be an influential person. Mm. That's what I'd like to be, an influential person and spend my life sharing about the Lord. Amen? Amen. Yeah. I want to pray over you. All right, Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you. Mm. I pray, Lord, for soul winning to take place at higher levels. I pray it not just in our church, but in this entire city. I pray, Lord, that you, God, we ask you to give us a passion for the lost. Give us a hunger for winning souls. I pray, Lord, we'd step out of selfishness and you know, our, our own self-infatuation with things and we'd be serious about the things of God. And I pray you give us wisdom to discern the right people. I thank you, Father. You're opening up hearts and minds even right now. I pray, Lord, for people yet uh, that we have any witness to. Right now, we're just ter- tearing up the soil. I pray that soils of hearts will be open and ready when the time comes. I pray it right now. I pray the destiny and the purpose of God. Uh, in this group of people, for people they're reaching. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I was laughing because uh, when Elizabeth was in Israel, uh, the, the tour lady was like, you're one of my lost sheep, Elizabeth. <laughs> and so Elizabeth was like, what does that mean? She said, it means you have no sense of geographical direction. You're totally lost. <laughs> That's why she likes traveling with me. Yeah. But you know, I once was a lost sheep myself. I didn't know where I was with the Lord. Maybe you're a lost sheep this morning. And Jesus cares about that one. I love that man. He left the 99 to go after the one. And he loves you and cares about you and will go after you. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're that one sheep. So if I could get every head battered, every eye closed, I don't know, this is your moment, man. In this room, there's got maybe one person not right with the Lord. If you're that one person, I'd just like you to put a hand up. And we'll pray with you. I see the hand. I see that hand. Yeah. So just say after me, say, Lord, I'm a lost sheep. And I thank you for bringing me to you. And I want to walk with you. Take me into your fold. Protect me. I love you. And I receive your forgiveness of sin. In Jesus' name.
And if you prayed that and you're sincere, man, the Lord loves you and cares about you so much. Amen. 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 Will you stand up here this morning? I don't know what situations you're faced with in your life that seem impossible. Publius's dad had a fever and was there with dysentery, which I don't fully know what that is. It sounds horrible. I think I have an idea. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't know what impossible situation you're faced with, but I do know that we have a God in heaven who hears and guides and directs and answers impossible situations. So if you would like prayer for anything impossible, if you need a miracle to take place in your life, I'm telling you, we have a God who does those things. He is in the miracle business. And I want to take a moment and just pray with you. If you need a miracle, I would love to pray with you and and see what God will do in your life because I know he does it. Amen, 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 amen. Uh, We'll go ahead and dismiss this morning. I want to pray for my friend Eric over here. Reach a hand out to this man. All right, Father, I just thank you for your hand of guidance and direction. Yes, Lord. Father, I thank you. I thank you for making crooked places straight. I thank you for clarity. I thank you for supernatural intervention in life, making rough places smooth. And I just pray, Lord, right now. Eric, I, I, just, I just sense that, uh, that all the, some, some of the difficult things that you're faced with, some of these things in your way, God is going to make crooked places straight, make things very easy, very evident for you to see what you're, like, like the path ahead of you. Yeah, clarify it. So I pray that over you in Jesus' name. Crooked places straight. In Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen. All right, man, I, I love you all very much. Keep the music on. I want to pray if anyone has a situation they're faced with. We love you very much. Sign up for your kids for VBS out there. Love you all.